Psalm 139. So crack it open just to the middle of the Scriptures. Psalm 139. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one right in front of you in the pew. If you don't have a Bible at all, we can take that Bible with you. It's our gift to you today. The black Bibles that are in the pew there. We're open up to the middle. Psalm 139. As you do there, as you go there, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Gray. Uh, I'm the pastor of this church and uh, excited to meet some of you for the first time. We've been away for three months on a sabbatical. This is our third week back, and so I may not have met you yet, and I want to thank you for visiting this morning. I know it's really hard. I was gone for three months uh, this summer, and we visited about 10 churches while we were gone. And uh, the first thing I did when I would go into a church is like, where's the bathroom, right? I know there's a place I can hide, right? Um, that, that's human nature a little bit. Like, how do I get in here? Even walking in from the parking lot, you're kind of like, I ah, don't know if I want to do this uh, sometimes. Not everybody, but sometimes that's the way we feel. And uh, thank you for, for making that plunge and, and finding the bathroom this morning if you're new. And, uh, and coming in amongst people and even having an awkward greeting time like we just had because... Uh, We're a family here, and we want to invite you into that, but we know that's hard. So thanks for taking that plunge. We're going to continue in our new series called Draw Nigh, where we're talking about the nearness of God as a theological thing. That's a knowledge about God thing. God is near to us. We kicked it off last week looking at Acts chapter 17, where Paul goes into a city of Athens, and there are idols everywhere. Literally, it says that the the city is sinking under the weight of the idols. And Paul walks in, and his message to that group is, you're not far from God. You're, You're searching, and you're not far. He's actually not far from any one of us. And so we talked about the nearness of God in salvation, that no matter how far we've gone away from Him, and many of us, like others in the past, like the great St. Augustine who spent his whole life 100% running away from God, that's our story. Many of us, we have a story where we are running from Him and we feel like maybe we've eluded Him, maybe we've gotten really far. But the nearness of God brings salvation to everyone who turns to Him. That's the only thing He commands everyone here to repent. That's what we looked at last week. Repent and turn to God and He is not far. So that's kind of the idea of farness. Today I want to start down the practical road of looking at this and how it affects our daily lives. The nearness of God is not just a concept. It's not just something that we believe in. For our salvation, the nearness of God is something that we experience or can experience on a daily basis. And so I want to look at the nearness of God for every day. And in the coming weeks, we'll look at other situations like in our pain and in our suffering and in our joy. And we're just going to be here for a few weeks as we um, kind of get settled back in as a family And then we'll dive into a book uh, together, a book of the Bible. So, Psalm 139 this morning, we're looking at the psalmist, David, his approach to the nearness of God for every day. Let's read this together. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. It's very hard in a single human picture to capture the complexity of the nearness of God. This psalm is one of my favorite psalms in all the scriptures, and it is, um, it is complex in its picture of God. There's really no good way to capture with a, with a human image the nearness that we can experience of God, even though some people have tried. Let me give you a few of what I think are bad examples. When I've heard that God is near, sometimes I've heard it described like this. God is like a software program. All right? He is always running in the background of your life. And so, just like some kind of powerful software that powers your computer, God is always there. You may not always see it working, but, but He is always at work. He's always doing something. That gets a little problematic for us who have a love-hate relationship with software, right? Um, I remember downloading something one time and I had to sign up for this, uh, I think it was called the Nielsen Group. Some of you probably know more about this than I do, but I signed up for this thing and apparently for the next couple of years, they were working in the background, collecting all this data, right, selling it to advertisers, and I realized it and I felt like, okay, that's near, right? That's a little too near um, to my life. I felt like a violation, and the nearness of God, even though even you read some of these verses, it can sound almost like it's a violation. It's too close to us. It's not a very good picture. Here's another one I saw. I think this is real. 
I don't know for sure, but um, the internet these days, apparently a couple of churches, uh, a couple years ago, a church uh, in Texas had a sermon series called Drones, and they had a military drone on the stage, as in an actual U.S. military drone, and they were talking about how God was like a drone. That's how near He is. Drone that has great cameras, great at surveillance, right? He's watching. But not only that, he has the power to destroy. So a military drone can destroy things. And so while it is true that God is powerful, and it is true that he watches over us, and it is true that he has the power to judge, I think there's still something problematic about comparing God to a military drone. Maybe like ten things, right? Switch to the other side of this, trying to understand God's nearness. I've also heard it described that God is like a road trip friend. Someone that you can go through the journey of your life with, and He's with you all the time. And you know, maybe just like a friend, sometimes there's silence, but it's that, it's that comfortable silence. You have somebody next to you. You have somebody near to you in your life. Now, that may be a pretty good analogy for prayer. In fact, I think I've used that before. The way that we talk to God, sometimes in the silence, sometimes with, with our words out loud. However, it falls a little short of Psalm 139 because while God is a friend to us, His nearness is not just friendly. There's something of the majesty of Psalm 139 that gets lost when we just say, He's along for the ride in my life. Does that fit with what David the saying here, when he describes these big things, that this is what God does, His majesty, His power. We don't want to go drone. We don't want to go just road trip buddy either. That doesn't seem to be a good picture for the nearness of God. What we're trying to capture here is something like this, verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence. It's like he's saying, I can't escape you, but he has a smile on his face. It's, a, it's not a scary or creepy psalm. It is a beautiful psalm about God's closeness, and yet it is true that God is very close. It's like he's saying this, God is inescapable, but in the most beautiful way. And that is something that I think is hard to capture for us, and yet it's essential for us to understand. Here's how one person that I read this week describes it. I think this is beautiful about this psalm. For all its height and depth, it remains intensely personal from first to last. For all its height and depth, the majesty of God, it remains intensely personal. That's the description of the psalm. Could it not also be a description of our God? For all of His height and depth, for all of His majesty, for all of His ability to know and even to judge, He remains intensely personal from first to last. In other words, the way that we could say this is that God is near without all of the fear that we sometimes associate with nearness of powerful things. This psalm is about experiencing that nearness. So I want to ask a simple question today. How can we develop a daily nearness to God without fear? 
How can we develop a daily nearness to God without fear? Looking at four domains where we are invited to experience the nearness of God. The first one is this. We are invited to experience the nearness of God in the domain of, number one, the rhythms of the day. The rhythms of the day. This psalm is about a daily life with God. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me. The psalmist experiences God's nearness in the day. And as he goes throughout his day, we see that he's experiencing God's presence in space and in time. He's experiencing it in space from the most mundane movements of his day. Look at verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Sitting down, rising up, walking, lying down. God is acquainted with all of the mundane movements of the day. From those smallest movements, then He says, to the greatest distances of space, heavens and earth. Verse 7, where shall I go from Your Spirit? Where shall I flee from Your presence? If I ascend to heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, that is another way of saying from north and south or from top to bottom and east and west. The heavens and the depths of the earth, the place of the dead, Sheol. And then he says, from the wings of the morning. What is that? That is the rising of the sun. The wings of the morning. When the sun comes in, it's in the east. And then he says, oh, to the uttermost parts of the sea. Well, where is that? That for an Israelite is west. Everything west of them is the Mediterranean. And so they associate the east with the sun and the west with the water. He's saying from the greatest distances we can think of to the most mundane actions of our daily life, I feel the presence of God. And by the way, the word presence there just means face. As we talked about last week with St. Augustine running from God and then when he turned and he looked in his face, it's when he saw the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ that he knew that God was near. Here, he says, where can I go from your face, from your presence? That space, but also time. From the womb, verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. All the way to verse 16 where he says, all of my days are formed by You. And so it's not just that God is with him wherever he goes. He is with him whenever he goes from the beginning of his life, conception to the end of eternity. From the smallest movements to the greatest distance and from the earliest moments of time, God's face is near in the day. Does it occur to you, I wonder that your day, how you exist in space and time, is the domain of God's presence? 
me read a quote that I find so obvious and yet so challenging. What I read a number of years ago, Annie Dillard says this, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. That is so obvious. That is so powerful. How you spend your day is how you spend your life. Think about that. Next time your phone notifies you of your average daily screen time. It's not just that you spent a day doing that. Over time, the patterns of our days becomes the pattern of our lives and we become screen people. It becomes a part of who we are. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And so a question that we can ask ourselves is, what is my day designed to do? If it's true that God cares about when I sit up and when I lay down and my sleeping patterns and my life and where I go from the tops of the heavens to the bottom of the sea, anywhere that I might try to go, what am I trying to do? Is my day designed for my pleasure? Is it designed for my ease? Is it designed just so that I can endure and collapse into entertainment? How might my day change? We could ask ourselves if we realized it was the domain of God's presence. As we move through space and time, what is true of our days? Is verse 18, for instance, true of our mornings? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Is the morning a time where we instantly feel ourselves in the presence of God. That challenges us, doesn't it? The whole day. The whole life. Because obviously, the day here is, as it often is in all kinds of literature, a picture of our lives from the beginning, from the rising of the sun till its setting. Our lives are lived quorum Deo, before the face of God. That is the first domain. The rhythms of the day. Also, he experiences the presence of God in the thoughts of the mind. There's two pieces to this. God has knowledge of us that the psalmist delights in, and the psalmist has knowledge of God that he delights in as well. God has a knowledge of us. Look at verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Look at verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all together. The thoughts and words of our minds, God knows them. Your interior life is no escape from God. Now, how does that make you feel? Let's return to what we talked about at the beginning. God discerning your thoughts is that an invasion? Does that feel too close? Because those words can strike us different ways. You're discerning my thoughts? It reminds me of uh, some stories I've read about the, uh, that great classic song, Every Breath You Take. You know what I'm talking about. 1983, the police, Sting's greatest you know, lasting achievement Uh, in terms of popular opinion anyway, even though he reportedly hated writing that song uh, because it was so simple and he was such a creative genius and is such a creative genius. And so he writes this song, every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, 
Every step you take, I'll be watching you. Every single day, every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. Now, what does that song mean? For decades, there has been a debate. Many people have had this song played at their weddings. (laughs) Sting himself said at first that that people were reading too much into the song, that it was a simple love ballad about watching the one that you love. That's what he said first, but later he said actually it was more sinister. Perhaps about someone with dark intent, a stalker. Others have had interpretation that the song is actually about a lost loved one, that it's somebody that's watching down from heaven. I'll be watching you. It's a comfort. So, Think about the phrase, I'll be watching you. Depending on the context, that can be romantic, creepy, or comforting. (laughs) How does it strike you? God discerns the thoughts from afar. He knows the word before it is on our tongue. Listen. The psalm itself suggests that David has been on a journey himself in discovering the nearness of God. Doesn't it imply when he says, where can I flee from your presence? I want to run away. That he has tried this before. And yet at the end of the day, this psalm's tone is one of protection, care, guidance. Not condemnation. He does not say, you discern my thoughts from afar, and then you punish me, you destroy me, you do ill intent towards me because of my thoughts. The whole thing is about how God is inescapable, but it is beautiful in its inescapability. And so, one of the truths of, that we preach and know from the Scriptures is that the thing that that God is so powerful and He's so pure and so near to us, that thing that can be so potentially unnerving is actually the best news possible because it means that the One who knows you the most, the One who has the most direct line of access to your thoughts and intentions is also the One who loves you the most, cares for you the most, and has intended good things for you. God has a knowledge of us, but the psalmist also says that we have a knowledge of Him. It's not just about His knowledge of us. Look at what the psalmist says. Verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them. The way that he describes his knowledge of God is that he is wonderful and precious to him. And so God dwells in this domain of nearness in the internal self because David dwells on who God is. He thinks on Him and he finds Him to be precious. He has a hidden internal life with God. This God who knew Him from the most intimate beginning in the mother's womb, in the dark. The dark is not dark to God. In the inner places, God is there. I'm not always sure that we know this as Christians. 
that one of the greatest gifts of being in Christ, walking with God, is having an internal hidden life with God. As we walk with Him, as David walked with Him, he discovered God to be more than a judge that he was afraid of, more than a parent that he needed to prove himself to, more than a philosophical argument that he needed to believe or not believe in. He saw Him as a presence to draw near to. To delight in. To find precious. In the rhythms of the day and in the thoughts of the mind, we can experience the nearness of God. Here's the third one. In the opposition of the enemy. Psalm uh, verse 19 may have been a surprise to you. Verse 19 through 22 There's a little interjection here about God and the wicked. The enemies of God. And he says some intense things. I loathe them. I loathe your enemies. I hate them. I count them as my enemies. What's going on here? Does it seem like an interjection that doesn't make sense? We need to see first that David here is not talking about vengeance. He's talking about a zeal for God. And already there has been a military reference in the psalm, verse 5, where it says, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. That's the image of a battle. I'm going out into battle, but you have put support troops before and behind me to protect me. So we need to think about this from the perspective of the day. As this psalmist goes to the heights of the heavens and the depths of the sea, as he goes from here to there, as he lives his life in time, this is what he is experiencing. Not just the rhythms of his own day and the, the thoughts of his own mind, but also his real interaction with the forces that are against him. Who are these enemies? We've talked before about the, one of the best ways to describe the enemies of God for us is that it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's a world out there. There's a system of of enemies that has, because of our sin, become so entangled that it's against God. The flesh is the enemy within. The one that fights us for our, our own growth and grace. And the devil, we do have an adversary. A personal adversary works against us. But notice, the psalmist has no fear. It's not like other psalms where he's talking about the enemies of God and being afraid of them and help me out. He's actually turned the corner and he's saying, I'm fighting them because I'm on your side. He has zeal. There is no fear because he's so close to God. And the presence of God equips his life to have confidence in whatever may come. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Whatever he's confronted with. And it's even in that opposition that he sees the nearness of God. It's not just in me personally and my interactions in the world, but whenever something from the outside seems to want to take away my faith, my joy. The last domain where the nearness of God can be experienced is the examination of the heart. There is a beautiful ending to this psalm. And it's a shift. Verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there 
be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It ends with an invitation to God to look deeply. You, as the creator of the universe, look as deeply as you can into me. This is a shift because before, David has been just describing who God is. It's like the attributes of God, the the true things about God. God is everywhere. He does know our thoughts. He is omnipresent, we say sometimes. He's omniscient. He's describing all these things, but there's a shift here at the end. He says, but take those things that are true about you and I invite you to look as deeply as you can into me. Look deeply into my thoughts. Try me and know my thoughts. And by the way, the word thoughts there, it's a different word than thoughts in verse 2 where he says, you discern my thoughts from afar. Those are the things that we're actually thinking in verse 2. But here at the end, know my thoughts, it is my misgivings, my cares, the internal working of my being where I don't know what is really going on. I want you to look into that and see all the stuff that's there. Even if it shows ugliness. Even if there's something grievous there. He's asking for it to be uncovered. And here, David shows us how beautiful it is to be near to God without fear. To be able to say, look as deeply as you can. He can anyway, right? But to be able to say, I invite this. Look deeply and show me. That is the ultimate nearness without any fear. How is that possible? It's possible because of who God is. It's possible because this nearness is not something that God uses to put us into fear. God is not a computer program. He is not a military drone. He's not just a road trip buddy. There is no human way really to capture this, but there is a way. There is an image that does do the trick. But it's a divine and heavenly image. It is the image of Jesus Christ. Colossians tells us He is the image of the invisible God. And He is also the picture of the nearness of God that we need. He is our access. And what can be said about the psalm, which we said could also be said about God, can be said about Jesus Christ for all His height and depth. He remains intensely personal from the beginning to the end. Jesus is near to us, not just because He is a friend, even though He is a friend, but in His majesty, He took on flesh and came near to us. He didn't lose the majesty, nor did He lose the closeness. And so it's in Jesus Christ that we are fully known that we can pray exactly these words. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. Because in Christ we have the confidence to be fully exposed before God. To be uncovered. And what God does with that exposure is not condemn us if we are in Christ. He covers us. 
And he takes all of his intimate knowledge about us, our sitting and our rising, our thoughts that he discerns, and he redeems it by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are brought near to God and it cancels out the fear of being exposed. So if you want to experience the nearness of God in everyday life, if you want to walk with God, the best way is to preach the gospel to yourself every day. That what Christ has done for you, you apply to a balm, as a balm on your heart when you're feeling sad and distant. That you insert it into the rhythms of your day. That, that there's, there's things that trigger for you a response that, yes, this is the life that I'm living. I awake and I'm still with you. The Gospel is still true. I still have life and faith and everything I need for godliness because you of what you have done. Applied not just in the externals, but in the heart and in the mind and the inner person, the hidden life of God, that you coach yourself on what is true of you now that you are a son or a daughter of God. And what that does is it brings you near to Him in experience, not just in reality. This psalm, I'll close with this, this psalm uh, was the inspiration for Francis Thompson's famous poem, the Hound of Heaven. Francis Thompson, relatively unknown person, 19th century poet. And he wrote this poem, The Hound of Heaven, in which he compares his life, it's an autobiographical poem, to running away from God. And God being the hound of heaven who is hunting him like game. And he runs from God. He says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down labyrinthine ways of my own mind. See the echoes of Psalm 139? Space and time and the mind. All the ways that we can flee the presence of God. But, but by the end of the chase, in the end of the poem, he realizes that God, yes, God was seeking him. Yes, God was after him but he was seeking him in order to give him all that he himself wanted. And that was the discovery. The things that I wanted are the things that he wanted to give. At the end, from God's perspective, he says, All which I took from thee, I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou might seek it in my arms. I didn't take anything away from you to detract from you. I took things away so that you would see that I am the source of those good things and find me. The hound of heaven. It's a jarring image. It's a controversial image. God is after me? Sounds intense. Sounds terrifying. But once we see that He's only after us to give us the grace that we so desperately desire. He's after us for our good. And so we see that Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. And that any that hope in Him are found out by God and given the grace that we desire. God is inescapable. But it is the most beautiful kind of inescapableness. When we see it, it comes from Christ. Let's pray.